Okay, so we are right now in this series where we've been looking at Joseph, and we're going to finish our series today, and, and we've really got to put a whole lot of information in here because I've got to cover about four chapters in this one message, so we've got to skip a lot of it, but there's a couple key points I want us to see. And I think we've pretty well concluded that Joseph is a type of Christ. He's a word picture. Uh, uh, he's a visual of what Christ is going to do and be when he comes. So we learn a lot about Jesus just by looking at Joseph. Today we're going to wrap that up, uh, and we're, we're calling it the phases of redemption. Because if indeed Joseph is a type of Christ, then we ought to expect his end goal to be what Christ's end goal was, which was to seek and to save the lost. Not to form this nice social society that we have on Sunday mornings when we come together, but to seek and save the lost. And when a lost gets found, then the lost gather together and encourage themselves, motivate ourselves to go out after more lost. So this is what Joseph did, and we're, we're picking this up here in our story. Uh, and we see that in Egypt, there's a famine going on. We're skipping, we're skipping from where we were last week, skipping ahead. There's a famine going on. There has been seven years of plenty, and Joseph has been in charge of administrating the, the, the uh, setting back of extra grain. 20% of all the harvest was going to be uh, taken by the government, and they were going to put it in these warehouses, these storage bins, because they believed that the dream that, that uh, Pharaoh had of seven good years followed by seven bad years, they believed that was going to happen. And if you really believe something, you take action steps to prepare for it. And so for seven years, they'd had plenty. 20% of all the grain raised in the whole country was stored up. And now they've gone into the years of famine. And there are hard times. Now, the Egyptians are doing okay because they planned ahead. And they set some of that back. But this famine is going clear through the Middle East. It's not just affecting Egypt, it's affecting everybody. So Jacob, the father, whose name was changed to Israel, the father of the 12 sons that we call the 12 tribes of Israel, he says to his sons, why do you stand there looking at each other? That's in the Bible. There's something we can do, and you're just sitting there looking at each other as if you're expecting one another to solve the problem. And I think sometimes we Christians do that. You know, we go to church and we look at one another, expecting one another to help our problem instead of going to the Lord with it. He's the only one that can resolve our issues. So Jacob says, why do you stand there looking at one another? Go down to Egypt and buy grain. We know they got grain down there. Go down there and buy some. But I want, just in case this goes awry, I want one of my sons, Benjamin, to stay back. I don't want him to go. I want him to stay. You see, Benjamin is, is kind of unique. 
Jacob had four wives through whom he had these 12 sons. But the one he loved the most was Rachel. And Rachel had two boys. The first was Joseph, who's down in Egypt, and number two man in the whole country. And the other is Benjamin, young Benjamin. Now he thinks Joseph is dead. So he's cherishing, cherishing Benjamin. And he says, Benjamin's got to stay with me. You, you all go down there, bring back as much grain as you can. But Benjamin stays with me. That's where we pick up the story. Uh, in, uh, I want to read this first section. Chapter 42, verses 3 through 5. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. I want us to see this. You can be in the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. You can be in the promised land and still have famine. We're seeing this from the story. You know, you know what famine is, don't you? That's when you're hungry. And sometimes it's got to be a famine for us to recognize we're hungry. I think most of us in this room are kind of like me. We're never really hungry. I mean, we eat three meals a day. And how many candy bars between? You know, we always got a snack in the cupboard. We always have something. So we never really know what hunger is. But if we were forced to go a full 24 hours without eating anything, we would begin to understand what hunger is. Another 24 hours, and now it's our stomach's really beginning to do some gnawing. Well, this is what I'm calling the deprivation. Not deprived, but depraved. The depredation. It's what we call the depravity of man. That man is starving and he doesn't even know it. It's like the story of the, the monkey who reached his hand down in a jar to get the banana. And then when the, when the capturers come to get him, he tries to pull his hand out of the jar. And because he's got a hold of the banana, he can't get out. So they've caught him. He doesn't even know. All I have to do is let go of the banana. My freedom's worth more than the banana. Just let go of it. The monkey doesn't know. He's depraved. He does, he's not aware of what he needs to do. And you and I, in our sin nature, we are depraved. We don't even know what sin is. We don't even know how offensive our behavior is to God. So we don't recognize the trap we've been caught up in. The natural man is starving in a famine and doesn't even know he's starving. It reminds me of the prodigal son in the New Testament where this uh, father has two sons. One of them stays faithful on the farm. The other one says, uh, Dad, I'm not interested in your, sh in, in your occupation, in your chosen career. I don't want to do that. I want to go and chase my own dreams. I want to go and be what God wants me to be on my own. So he heads off into a strange land where nobody knows him and he doesn't know anybody. 
thinking he's going to somehow find his treasure. And he gets over there and finds himself slopping the hogs. And he's so hungry from the famine, from starving, he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. And so finally, he comes to his senses, the Bible says, and he decides to go back. Why should I stay here and starve in this famine when I could go back to father's house and I know I'm not worthy of being his son any longer, but maybe, just maybe, he'll hire me. And I can live in, in, in the bunkhouse where they'll give me a bed and I can eat in the mess hall where they, they feed me a meal. And I can work and earn my way into the Father's house. You see, you see this twist of the story? I want to earn my way. When we're depraved, we think we can somehow earn our way. We can somehow do some good things and please God because of my good things. But depravity means we don't have any bargaining chips. God's not interested in anything we've got except ourselves. That's all he really wants. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says all, that's all, everybody say all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in that depraved condition. Romans chapter 7 verse 18 describes it even better. Paul says, for I know that, that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now we've all been at this place where we've made New Year's resolutions of how we're going to improve our life and it only lasted a couple days. We've all done that because we haven't determined we really want to make the change. That's depravity, the depredation. Uh, okay, let's go uh, one more. Here's, here's the next one the next part of the story. What I'm doing, I, I want you to see where I'm going. I don't want you to get lost. What I'm trying to get us to see is that there are different phases or stages of your spiritual development, your salvation. And we're seeing this here with Joseph dealing with his brothers, his lost brothers, the ones who betrayed him. If there's anybody that Joseph ought to be angry at, it's those scoundrels that sold him. And Joseph has to deal with his own animosity toward his brothers, just as Jesus has to deal with the fact that it was people just like us that nailed him to a cross, betrayed him. And I want us to see here the stages, the levels that Jesus brought his, his brothers through to get to that full salvation. It's the same kind of phases he take, Jesus has to take you and I through in this spiritual development. And phase one is that uh, deprivation when we realize we're really lost. Okay, that's the, first, that's the first level. Hopefully you're still not there. Hopefully you've moved beyond that one. But let's look at the next one. It's in the, starting in verse 7. Still in verse 42. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers... He recognized them. 
but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. You know, when we're dealing with a spy, we're typically not real merciful. Spying is a no-no. And he says, you are spies. That means you're an enemy of our government. You're an enemy of, our, of the state. So the second, the second phase I want us to see here is, is the vindication. You know, vind- vindication is, I, I'm really innocent. I, did, I didn't do anything. We're really, we're really good guys. Now see, Joseph, it dawns on him. It's been a quarter of a century now, but these are my brothers. I recognize their mannerisms. I recognize their customs, how they dress, how they wear their beard. I recognize them. These are my brothers, those rascals that sold me into slavery and put me down here where I, where I had to sit in that dungeon. But they don't recognize it. Oh, isn't it cool when God runs a twist like that? And all of a sudden, Joseph's in the driver's seat. He hasn't been before. But he doesn't tell them that he knows them. You see how that plays over into the church world today? Jesus knows everything about you. But we only got bits, bits and pieces about him. We don't really know who he is yet. And when we were in our lost condition, we didn't have a clue who Jesus was. But he knew who we were. He knew everything about us and still sought us out. The vindication. The brother said, we are honest men. Right. Joseph knows how honest they are. They went back to the father with that blood-soaked, many-colored coat and said, I I guess a lion got your son. Deceivers, liars. But they say, we're honest men. You see, the vindication stage is when we begin to move out of our... uh, depraved condition and we begin to vindicate ourselves justify ourselves that's called self-righteousness we're really good people I mean we we come to church every Sunday morning we get I gave something in the offering a little bit ago I did take communion I'm a pretty good guy we focus on our strengths not our negatives but Joseph's brothers are blind They can't see it. So Joseph spoke harshly to them. Now that reminds me how the Lord speaks to me. He's not real gentle with me. Maybe he is with you. And I know he loves me. But he kind of treats me like my dad would have treated me if he found out I just stole something. 
You know, what would your father have done with you if he found out you just stole something? Maybe your dad loved you, but I, I think he'd give you a swift kick in the seat of the pants, grab you by the nap of the neck. God expects something of me. And when he sees me dropping the ball, he speaks pretty harshly to me. I'll read something in the Bible and it like jumps off the page and I know God's just caught me. I know what he's saying. But it's personal and nobody else knows. Just me and him. How many ever had something like that where God spoke something just to you? So these guys are totally depraved. They can't see the full circle, but Joseph can see it. He represents Jesus. Jesus sees the whole thing. He sees full circle. And now Joseph understands, I am now the one in control. I now have power over these guys. And he speaks pretty harshly. That's the vindication. That's the second stage. But let's move on to the third one which is uh, verse 17. Chapter 42, verse 17. And he put them all in custody for three days. Jump down to verse 21. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Now they're beginning to connect the dots. This, 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 this is called guilt and shame, where you realize you re-put your soul. That you did some dumb thing 25 years ago, and now that dumb thing is coming back to affect you. This is the condemnation. The condemnation. They're condemning themselves. This is because of what we did with our brother. We sold him into slavery, or they didn't know it, but he went down to Egypt and sat in a dungeon. And now, they're the ones sitting in the dungeon. And if I'm reading the story right, Joseph probably arranged to have them sitting in the very same dungeon he sat in. We reap what we sow. It's come full circle. It's come back upon him. And then he calls them out and he orders them to go back to their father and bring back that missing brother. Bring back Benjamin. I love it. Somebody ought to make a movie out of this story. This is exciting. Bring back your brother. Now they know that's going to rip the father's heart out. They've got to confront their father. They've got to talk to the father. They've got to persuade the father to come back. Or to, to bring uh, Benjamin back. Notice they said to one another, this is not a confession to God, this is a confession to each other. You see, this is a progressive step they have to take. So they're, they're talking to one another. They don't think Joseph knows. They don't think anybody knows. But they forgot that God knows. 
And we can't forget that God knows everything about our lives. God's got a plan he's working out here. The condemnation. So they got to deal with the God thing, which, which takes us to the next step. We got to jump over into chapter 43 because I got I to gotta skip something. Over here, 43, and we're going to start reading in verse 16. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. And we jump down to verse 30. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. And after he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who are with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men, speaking of his brothers, the men had been seated before him in order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. So nobody knows what's going on. But Joseph is dealing with his brothers. And Benjamin wasn't born yet when they sold his older brother Joseph into slavery. So this is the first time Joseph had ever laid eyes on his brother. Didn't even know he had a brother. Full brother. Now Joseph is excited. He puts five helpings on his plate. Wow, fills it up. Everybody's, everybody's five times, everybody's got to see he's got more than us. And I wonder if there's a little bit of sibling jealousy going on. But Joseph does not explain himself. So this, this, the next step is what I'm calling the provision. This is when God steps into our depravity and begins to minister to us. This is when God himself steps in and he begins to provide, begins to answer <laughs> prayers, begins to arrange these coincidences that the Spirit does in our lives. And he, he sets everything up as a banquet. A banquet. You ever been to a banquet? You know, they don't, they don't, a banquet's not a reception. A reception, they give you like sample snacks. You know, you go to a banquet, you expect the whole deal. There's a lot of food. I mean, they've got a lot of food in Egypt, and Joseph is the number two man. He can order anything on the menu he wants, and this is a big banquet he's given. And that reminds us of Jesus. When we look ahead to the New Testament, I want to read uh, Luke 14, verses 16 through 24. It says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. 
Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going, I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to, the, to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant replied, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So it starts out with an open invitation. These are, the spe- these are special people that I want to invite to come to my banquet. They came up with excuses. So he says, okay, we're going to broaden it because I want my banquet table full. So we're going to broaden it. We're going to make it a little bit easier. Go out and invite some others. And then he opens it up even further because he wants his table full and people won't respond. Finally, he orders them to go out and compel the people out hanging around in the streets. The the people that nobody wants. Go get them and bring them in. I believe we are in the church of the last days and I believe the Spirit of God is going out into the highways and the byways and compelling people to come in. But the church, us, We've got to recognize that. If God's going to bring in people with all kinds of troubles and difficulties, we've got to come alongside them and mentor them and shepherd them and care for them and pray for them. Amen. Our, our, our position is not to wish they weren't here because if they come in, they're, they're going to create work. It's one of the reasons we do these groups because we're trying to get people in an opportunity where they can disciple someone else and get other people in a place where they can be discipled. And you can't do that as a lone ranger all by yourself. We can only do that in community. All right, the provision. Let's go to number five, the fifth stage. This is a continuing stage. The next stage uh, we read about in chapter 44, starting in verse 1. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of the house. Fill the men's sacks, these are the brothers, the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry. And put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. That's the silver that they brought to buy the grain. Put put it back in each sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest son's sack along with the silver for his grain. And he did, as Joseph said. Skip to verse 4. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once. And when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. And we skip to verse 16 when the brothers get back to to Joseph. They said, what can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my servant's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have 
the cup. What can we say? We've been caught. We can't justify ourselves. You caught us with the silver cup that belonged to Joseph. We didn't take it. But how can we convince you we didn't take it? Because right here is the evidence. We've been framed. And who framed him? Joseph framed him. And why did he do it? Because he's trying to get to their heart. Not because he's trying to get even. But he sure is getting even. These guys are sweating bullets. Are they going to spend the rest of their days in that dungeon? They've just offended the number two man in all of Egypt. And he told them, if I find out you're spies, then you're going to be incarcerated. So now here they are, all of them, hopeless, sitting in the very same dungeon that they helped Joseph to get into. What goes around, comes around. Their sin had come full circle. But they said this, and this is the next stage. They said, God has uncovered your servant's sin. This is the conviction when we recognize that God has put his finger on our sin, where God has put his finger on that part of our life. They're They're seeing God involved in it for the first time. And there comes a time in our spiritual development where we have to see God involved in convicting us that we really do need a Savior. All right, here's the sixth sixth stage. It's over in chapter 45, starting in verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his fathers, excuse me, his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When he had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Do you feel the emotion of the moment? I am your brother. Their mouths probably dropped open with the reality as they're they're seeing this all come together. How did this happen, they're saying? It happened because God has arranged it. God's doing a cool thing in their life. But they're full of fear. And if you've ever had an encounter with God, you know what it is to have a little bit of fear. The fear of God shakes us up. So I'm calling this the sanctification stage. Notice it happened immediately after they acknowledged their sin. 
we've got to confess our sin. We've got to acknowledge it. We've got to speak it out. God's got to, we've got to let God hear our heart cry. We've got to acknowledge our sin. And as soon as that happened, he immediately caused everyone to leave the room. Clear the room out. Because the relationship between Joseph and his brothers is personal. And the relationship between Jesus and you and me is personal. And it's private. That doesn't mean it should stay a secret. It's private between you and God. So he makes everybody leave. And he makes himself known. I am Joseph. Remember they had been calling him the Egyptian name, Savior of the world. Now he says, I am Joseph. And their minds begin to spin. Sanctification is when we remove the stuff that stands between me and God. I've got to get the stuff out of the way. I've got to get my sin. I've got to get my, my passions. I've got to get my ego. I have to get all that stuff out of the way between me and God. And there are a couple of those groups that we want you to look at that kind of speak to that very thing, that thing of sanctification. One of them is Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is a ministry of inspiration ministries in Auburn and our church partners with them. When they talk about Celebrate Recovery, they're talking about the recovery of our lives, getting back up again, getting, get, getting back what the enemy stole away. Getting freedom again, because Christianity brings freedom. But there are a lot of Christians still in the same bondage. Celebrate Recovery is getting beyond that. And another ministry is, this, is a class that Pastor Chet's going to be teaching called Foundations to Deliverance Ministry. How do we help people get delivered from their bondage? How do I get myself delivered from my own bondage? How do I do this? This is the sanctification level. As Jesus is revealing himself, he says, come close. Come close. You're, I know you came all the way from the promised land up here, but I want you closer. Come a little closer. I want to see some of the gray hair in your beard. I want to see the wrinkles around your eyes. I want to see if we have the same kind of nose. I want you to come a little bit closer. And this is the invitation that Jesus is giving today. And this is why we have the Holy Spirit. He wants us to come closer. To come closer to Him. Which takes us to the last point. Uh, which is in chapter 45, verses 5 through 8. And now, Joseph is speaking. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. 
He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. It was not you that sent me here. It was God. I don't know if, if this is what Joseph believed all along, all through this time period, or if it was something that finally dawned on him now and he was speaking it out to his brothers. But this is the first time his brothers had considered that. They, they were guilty of selling him to those to that caravan of merchants. They were guilty. But Joseph says, now I understand it was, wasn't you, it was God. God used you. He says in uh, Genesis 50, verse 20, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Could it be that the bad stuff that has fallen into our lives had a, has a purpose and it's God designed and we just haven't got to the end of the journey yet? We haven't seen it all come together? I believe that everything bad that's happened to me has a reason. My discovery is to figure out what it is not to get mad at God. What's the purpose? What's God trying to teach me? What God's try what's God trying to do through me? Now notice Joseph has got to be a man of grace to treat his brothers this way. And Jesus is a man of grace to treat us this way. He's such a good God. Such a good God. And then he tells them, he tells them, now that he's exposed, now, not exposed, that's not the right word, now that he's shared himself with them, who he is, this personal relationship, now he says, hurry, pack your bags. I want you to go back and get my father and bring him here. We don't want him up there starving. Hurry. The church must hurry. Time is running out. We're coming to the end of time and Jesus is coming back again. We've got to hurry. Time is coming as we know it is coming to an end. Let's stand together. I hope, you, I hope you've gotten a hold of the message. The last stage was salvation, complete salvation, deliverance salvation. We have to have that in our lives. We've got to start with a deprivation. If you think you're not really depraved, then you don't realize where you are. That's first step. That's first base. Then we've got to go through these different stages to where we finally get completely delivered. Now, I have to confess with you, I'm not completely delivered yet, but I'm on my way. I'm learning more and more and more every day of my life. And the more I learn, the more better equipped I am to deal with what's ahead so that I can be completely free. And you know, when I finally get completely delivered, I will know it because I'll be in heaven. I'll be with Jesus. But I'm on my way.
if you've not yet opened your life up like that to the Lord, if you see yourself somewhere in the middle of that journey, we've got to come to a place of recognizing God is at work in my life. We've got to recognize that. And once we recognize that, we begin to see the hand of God work in us. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, there's so much truth in the story we read, and we've just had to condense it so much. But Father, I pray that you'll help each of us to live that story out in our own lives as we come closer and closer to you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.